Thank you so much, brother, uh, for reading that text of uh, Scripture. It's amazing, again, to look at uh, chapter number 13, because we realize that uh, we are entering in the last week of uh, the Lord's life. In fact, uh, this is the Thursday before Good Friday that all of these events are taking place, and we've come again to consider what is known as the foot, foot washing of the Lord Jesus Christ of the disciples' like feet. And this passage, again, when you look at it, many times have been institutionalized by various different churches. And what I mean by that is many churches look at this as one of the ordinances that have been given by the Lord Jesus. So instead of two ordinances, which we have the Lord's table, which we celebrated um, uh, today, and also baptism, there's a third ordinance. So there's a third order that's given by Jesus Christ. And it happens to begin here, and it's given to the church. And... Um, I do applaud many of those churches because they're trying to be biblical. They're trying to look at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the commands that are given by the Lord Jesus Christ, and trying to follow those commands. But I think, again, it must be obvious, uh, as you look at the text and as you look at the rest of the New Testament, outside of the, um, this incident right here, we don't find it anywhere in the book of Acts being practiced. We find it in none of the epistles. And also, again, I think, uh, I think all of us realize this, that the um, culture that we live in, uh, the time and place that we live in, the needs that we live in, are so much different than the ancient world as far as those physical needs. We realize that uh, when they went around, they, they wore sandals, there was no socks, there was no shoes. And so as they walked around from the streets, and the streets, again, were not pavement, they were dusty, they were uh, 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 some of them were very filthy. And as you came into the home to have a meal, again, the table was not a raised table. You didn't sit in a seat. But what you would do is recline at it. And it was fine if you only have two or three people at a table. But the more people that you have at a table, the more difficult it is to keep somebody's feet out of your face. And so a host would many times have a servant there. And as people came in and uh, to, to enjoy the meal, what the, what the servant would do was clean their feet, one after another after another, uh, as a uh, sign of hospitality. And uh, when you look at this, this passage of Scripture, it, uh, we, we all know what, what happens. We're all familiar with it, but can you imagine reading this for the very first time, how shocking it would be? You know, that the Lord of glory takes on this position of this lowly uh, servant. And it really brings out one of the key attributes, one of the key characteristics of Christianity. And one of the key characteristics of Christianity is humility. You know, that we are called to humble servanthood. You know, and it must have been difficult for these men when you really think about it because uh, they're filled with pride. They're filled with self-importance. I mean, James and John's mother, the sons of Zebedee, have already come to the Lord Jesus Christ and requested in Jesus' kingdom that each one would have the preeminent position, one at the right and one at the left. Jesus, you choose which one. You know, and for no doubt, they were not trying to make eye, can eye contact with this basin of water that would have been left outside. Because this is not their home, this is not their place, but this is a rented place. And being a rented place, the owner would have left a basin, he would have left a towel there for somebody to take on that task of washing the feet of the disciples. And you can imagine some of the conversation that went on, at least in, in, internally. Why doesn't so-and-so take this position? You know, or there's no way that I'll ever wash so-and-so's feet. You know, and so a lot of times we think certain things in our life are below us to do. Or many times we'll look at other people and there's no way that we would ever seek to be a blessing in their lives. There's no way that we would ever seek to be involved in their lives. 
you know, to meet certain needs that happen to be right there. And um, maybe that describes some of the relationships in your life. Some of the people that happen to be in your life, well, welcome to the life of the disciples. You know, the thing that drove their life was pride. You know, and well, welcome to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the thing that's so amazing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's such a humbling message. Because the, the gospel informs me of who I am before this awesome, holy God. And it informs me of the cost again of my sin that none other than the death of the Lord of glory could pay for that cost of sin that happens to begin in our lives. You know, and as we look through the Gospels, we realize that Jesus Christ is the Lord, right? He is the God-man, but he's also perfect humanity in human flesh, and he's our perfect example. You know, as we look at this example of humility, this servant of servants, when we look at his humility, I wonder if, it, if the Gospel of Jesus Christ has touched our hearts again that deeply that we walk in this way. I really want us to be challenged this afternoon for a few moments. I'll try not to keep you uh, too long, and hopefully, again, most of us will stay, stay awake. I know, I know we had a great time of fellowship and a great meal, uh, but I really want to ch uh, challenge you, and I just want to see um, a couple things. Well, one, I want us to see Jesus taking up the towel, and you can see that in verses 3 and following, and look at what it says here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garment, and taking up a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You know, and this is one of the things that you have to realize about being merciful, being, again, really hu humble, and really cultivating humility in you is one of the things that we have to do is be really intentional about it. You know, and that comes back to really two things. One is preaching the gospel to yourself. You know, coming back time and time again and reminding yourself of this gospel, reminding of who you are before this holy God. And then as we take that, again, being intentional to really show our love for one another in tangible ways. And I'm not talk, talking about just meeting a need. Oh, if there's a need out there, I'll, I'll meet that. But really looking for ways that we can be a blessing to other people. I think a lot of times we're, we're uh, just so pe uh, petty that, that we're not looking at opportunities of being a blessing to other people. And you can imagine the disciples, because if Jesus all of a sudden sat down and said, well, one of you washed, wash my feet, all of them would have scurried around the problem was not Jesus. The problem was not even the superiority of Jesus. The problem was each other. You know, in the way that they looked again at each other, they, they looked at there was no possibility that I would ever wash their feet. And you have to realize that this was a stature thing, wasn't it? You know, even the Jews themselves would not wash one another's feet. No peer did that. No superior would, would stoop to that position. They always had a Gentile slave to do this act that happened to me again right there. But it must have been shocking to see Jesus take off his outer garment and take up the towel. It would have been a large towel. He wrapped it around his waist, and that became again an outer garment for him, but also something in which he would clean their feet. You know, and he took this possession. And, and it's absolutely stunning because of what you read in verse number three, which really introduces it. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. In other words, there was a self-awareness of Jesus. Have you ever thought that Jesus knew who he was and who he is? I mean, I find that really stunning, don't you? 
You know, when you look at Jesus, he knew that he deserved all glory. You know, when you see somebody who says, I deserve glory, we realize that they don't deserve that glory. But Jesus deserved the glory. He deserves the praise. He deserves all of the accolades because there's nobody greater than Jesus. And he, there's this wonderful self-awareness of who Jesus happens to be. But not only that, there's a self-awareness of what is going to take place. And this is what makes it so stunning. You know, because again, a lot of times I don't think we think about that. Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Satan has entered into Judas. He knows, again, that Peter is going to deny him three times. And he knows everyone who happens to be again around him, all the disciples, are going to forsake him. And yet he takes on this form of servant. Can you imagine having all that knowledge? You know, where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're the Lord of glory. And here are these 12 impotent, selfish individuals that happen to begin around you. I mean, what would you do? Because here's the amazing thing. When you look at Jesus Christ, he is the perfect example of everything that man is to be. What we're to be. You know, and we even see this command given over in the Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse number 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, speaking of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking what? The form of a servant. And you see that right here. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, this is what he did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And he took on this form, again, of a servant and became a servant of servants. And a lot of times when we look at the imperfections, we look at the arrogance, we look at the selfishness, we look at the self-centeredness of the disciples, we wonder how we could ever do it. You know, even knowing what would come that, that night in which he would be betrayed. And the reason why is because he had such a love for God. And you have to realize, you know, it goes this way, doesn't it? It goes vertically. He had such a love for God that he was able to love people, love these disciples, love these imperfect men with a perfect love, you know, for them. And our problem many times is, is, is not this way. It's really this way in that we just do not love God. You know, and if we love God, this is an amazing thing. We'll look for intentional ways in which we can love and which we can humbly serve those who happen to be around us. And maybe you're listening here this afternoon, and it's easy to take a text like this and say, this is what I want other people to do to me. Pastor, I wish you would preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it really strong because I'm going through difficulties, I'm going through trials, and nobody has ever reached out to help carry the burdens that I am carrying. And I am hurting so much in my life. You know, and if nobody's ever reached out to you, let me say beyond a shadow of doubt, I am really sorry for that. There is no excuse for that. We should be burden bearers and we should carry one another's burdens. But if that's what you're getting from the text, you're missing the whole point. You know, just because we're going through trials, just because we're going through suffering, just because we're going through sorrows in our life, does not negate us from serving one another. This is what Jesus did in the night in which he was betrayed. And, and let me say, say this, because I think a lot of times we say in arrogance, we look at this and say, oh, if there's a need that happens to be in congregation, I'll meet it. But how often are we looking to be a blessing in one another's lives? How often are we looking for opportunities to show the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to a wide variety of people, you know, whether we like them or not? 
whether we have a, a, a natural a, a, uh, oneness with them or not. Because here's the thing you have to realize about this foot washing. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. They could have gone on and celebrated the Passover meal. Everybody could have gone by the basin and sat down. Now, it wouldn't have been as pleasant, but they could have done that. And I wonder how often in our lives we look for an opportunity just to bless others. You know, just to be a blessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. They don't say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But how often? How often did we send a text out? Just encourage a brother or sister or an email. How often do we do something that's not done very often anymore? And that is write a card and just tell somebody we're praying for them and we're just so thankful for them. How often, you know, in our kitchen, you know, we're making a meal and we say, oh, let's just make a little extra. Let's bring it over to so-and-so. Let's bring it over to this, this person. They're all by themselves. Let's, let's bring it as an encouragement. Yeah, 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 they can make it by themselves. Yeah, 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 I get it. But, but let's just be a blessing. You know, and a humble blessing to serve other people. You know, because this is the amazing thing. Uh, we want others to do this for us, but how often are we moved by this example of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this was not the beginning of his ministry. This was right at the end, because in verse number one of this chapter, it says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the, uh, out of the world to his father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's what this is talking about. This is an example of Jesus Christ loving these men to the end. Even though he knew, again, the very next day he'd be taken as that burden bearer, taken again, and the wrath of God poured against him. And please do not get this. Please don't get it wrong. It's so easy to think that Jesus is just going through the motions. He's just doing something external, and he's not. And this is not easy. You know, it's not again, oh, yeah, but I got all this anguish and all this. Remember, he's going to go in a few hours. He's going to go into the garden, and there's going to be great sweat drops. You know, there's an anguish about the Lord Jesus. Even now, there's going to be great sweat drops that come from his forehead, where he's, where he's almost going to expire in the garden. This is not something easy. And here's my point. You know, in our anguish, and it's tough living in this fallen world. We want, and many times even expect, people to minister to us. You know, but when we look at Jesus Christ and see this example, I mean, it's just stunning. It really is. Because let me tell you, if we're reading the text, if we're reading the text, we want Jesus to scream out, don't you know what I'm going through? You know, you selfish individuals, get down there and wash my feet. But we find the exact opposite. We find a humble example of somebody who is willing to give and somebody who is willing to love to the utmost. Has your Christianity, has your love for the Lord Jesus Christ touched you that deeply? And then I want us to look at these questions, the questions as asked and answered. And you see that in verse number six. And I think this is a fascinating passage of scripture. He says, he came to Simon Peter. In other words, he's washing each one of them. And now it's Peter's turn who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And, if, and you are clean but not every one of you. And let me just stop right there. 
You know, one of the amazing things about this text, again, as we read it, read it and many times read about the questions that happen to be in the Word of God, God invites us to ask questions, doesn't he? And I think, again, questions are really good. A lot of times I even ask questions up here because I want to keep your mind active. And I think when we ask questions, our minds are active, aren't they? We want to learn about God. So we ask questions. We want to ask good questions. We want to learn. But let me tell you, there's other questions that are asked, and they're asked, again, just in defiance. You know, I know the will of God. I know what God wants me to do, but I just do not want to do it. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to go in that direction. So one of the things we always have to ask when it comes to the questions are basically this. Is this a good question or is this a bad question? One of the, th- one of the things we should ask of ourselves when we are asking questions, why am I asking? Am I truly trying to understand? Or is it just in defiance you know, of this great God? And we have to ask this question of Peter because Peter came to, he came to Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now let me just give you a little bit of insight into Peter. You know, when Peter speaks in the Gospels, right? When he speaks in the Gospels, you know, you have to pay attention. And the reason why is because sometimes he gets it so right. You you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But a lot of times he gets it so wrong, doesn't he? You know, and, and in this case, again, when we look at this, he gets it so wrong. It's not that he's just asking a question, you know, Lord, I'm such a sinner. I'm not worthy of you washing my feet. It, it isn't that. You know, in the Greek structure that happened to be right here, it's an act of defiance. It's more like this. You're not going to wash my feet, are you? And the reason why is because of how he views Christ at this time. He views Jesus as his mighty, reigning ruler who has come to put down nations and put down people. And this just doesn't fit into his definition of what a great person is. You know, there's no way that you'll do this for me. I expect, you you know, you to be others to be serving you, but not for you to be serving others. This is not what I expect from him. And he asks again in arrogance. He asks in frustration. You know, there's no way that you're going to ask, you're going to do that. And there there are a couple observations that we should make of the text. And one is, again, a lot of times I think, in fact, I know, in this life, a lot of times we, in our living of our life, is we don't know what the Lord is doing. Isn't it true? You know, as you go through life, you, you come to an obstacle in the way. You know, and you know what God has commanded you to do, but it seems like you should be doing the opposite thing. You know, you just do not understand why God would bring this in your path. And that's with Peter. Peter does not understand why this is taking place. You know, and certainly is an analogy for the cross, but this is, this is what he says in verse number seven. Jesus answered, what am I doing? You do not understand now, but afterwards, guess what? You will understand. Isn't that true of trials many times? We go through a trial, we agonize, we pray many times, Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. You know, I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to walk through this, but why have you brought this adversity that I'm going to begin in my life? And we're going through it. We don't see any good thing that will come through it. And we've gone through this adversity. And on the other side, sometimes, not always, we see many of the good things that God has done. We see many of the lessons that he's taught in each one of our lives, we see how he strengthened us again in the Lord. And one of the hard lessons that we have to realize as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that all of our Christian life is lived by walking by faith and not by sight. Isn't it true? You know, that's what we're called to do is walk by faith 
and not by sight. And right here, again, this is clearly a humble act, but also a symbolic act of his coming uh, crucifixion that happened to begin right there. You know, in the middle of our life, we have so many questions. Let me just say this. A lot of times, even when we go through adversity in our life, we, even, even when it ends, we still don't know. We still don't have all the answers. You know, and what we're called to do is trust in the one who has all wisdom, all authority, all power, the one who loves us more than we love ourselves, that this is for my good, and ultimately it is for his glory. The other observation is, anytime we start questioning and questioning and questioning, in other words, we're looking for answers, we're looking for answers, we're looking for answers, but there comes a point in time where, we, where those questions turn into demands. Isn't it? I'm asking this question, but it's really a demand. Lord, why? Why would you do this to me? And any time we get into that place, what we've done is usurped ourselves above the word of God. And it's no longer trust. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're not in a good place any time we come to that place. And you can see that that's something that Peter is going through because Peter, again, right after he asked the question, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And it is incredible, isn't it? Because I think 99% of the time when we're struggling in the Christian life, we're not struggling with what, with what is the will of God. What has God spoken? What has God commanded? We're not struggling with that. We're not struggling with a knowledge of the word of God. We're struggling to do this. Is, is how to implement it in our life. And really, we don't want to implement it in our life. You know, have you ever talked to somebody like that? Have you ever been like that? I have. You know, and it's incredible, isn't it? And I've heard, you know, time and time and time again. You know, uh, if you want want to know one of the frustrations of discipleship and Christian counseling is basically this, is you, you, you just don't give people truth. You know, it's not the truth that they struggle with. Here it is. It's doing the truth. It's really accepting the truth. What? You know, God couldn't have meant for me to really respect him and to submit to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. You don't have to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I know what it says there, right? But me, respect, me, submit to him. Do you know what a buffoon my husband is? As if God never knew. You know, and, and we struggle with that. Me, love her, sacrifice for her. Do you know how she talks to me? Do you, do you, do you know how she treats me? Right? Me forgive that person? Well, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt what they did. I know what they did. It, it isn't a question of what they did. It's a question of what God has said. And many times we can relate to Peter. And the reason why we can relate to Peter is because we're there. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's not, Pastor, can you tell me what the word of God says about how I should treat this brother who has sinned against me? Is there any way that I can hold a grudge against him? I've never been asked that question, right? Right? Now, I've been asked the question, boy, you should have seen what they've, they've done. And, 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 you know, they go on and on and on and on. And it's basically this. Will you give me some sort of escape hatch where I don't have to obey the clear commands that I have to be again in the word of God? You know, and you can see this. You know, we think it's ludicrous to obey the word of God. But listen to what Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, and think about what, what he says here. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Anyone know? Here, I'll keep your, I'll ask you a good question. Anyone know what the word share means? Anyone? 
It's a specific Greek word, and it's translated differently in, uh, in most of the New Testament outside of this. Do you know what it is? It's inheritance. And think of what Jesus is saying here then. If, you do, if, if I do not wash you, you have no, here it is, inheritance with me. Otherwise, you'll be banished to hell for all of eternity. Now think about that. Because we would say this, even this time, Peter's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how could Jesus say that? And this is where the illustration comes in, isn't it? This is where, again, the symbolism comes in. You know, because we realize, again, as we look at this, that this is a symbol, again, of what will happen. The next day is going to be the greater humiliation of the Lord Jesus. He's going to be taken. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit upon. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to be ridiculed on that cross. And you know what that message says? That message says, Jesus is absolutely worthless. Right? It's the greater humiliation. So let's bring it back to here. If Peter cannot accept this lesser humiliation as absolutely necessary in his life, how is he ever going to accept the greater humiliation of the Son of God who came to give his life as a perfect ransom for sin? And I think really that's the offense of the cross. I, re I really do. You know, when you're preaching to somebody beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're saying that you're so offensive before God, you're so sinful before God, you're so defiled, you have defiled this great God of all of eternity that you deserve to, be, to, to exist in a place of torment for all of eternity. And the only hope is if that God of eternity, that God of holiness, that God of righteousness would come in human flesh, would humble himself enough to die on that wicked cross taking the punishment that you deserve. And let me tell you, that is a humbling message. And that is all about the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what I love about the Word of God, because the Word of God is so real, because this is a good place for the narrative to end. Isn't it? You know, okay, all the answers have been asked, but guess what? Peter isn't going to end. <laughs> That's what we love about Peter. He keeps going. In fact, listen to what he says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he goes from, Lord, you're not going to wash me. The Lord scrub all of me. <laughs> and the question is, why does he say that? Why does he say that? And the reason why he says that is he gets the message, doesn't he? Right? right? You have no share in my inheritance. Oh, man, man. Well, you better not wash my feet. You better wash all of me. You know, I'm this defiled. I'm this sinful. And here's the amazing thing that happened to me about him. He really does get the message. You know, and I love that about the text. And let me just say this. The answer that comes next by the Lord Jesus, if you understand it, it's absolutely classic. And I think it gives us so much hope, so much certainty so much assurance in our salvation in Jesus Christ. Because look at what he says again right here. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, when you had a large gathering, again, of, of uh, people, you know, bathing was not something that you did every day. But when you had a large gathering, again, of people, you would bathe at home before you went to this social gathering. So when you got there, again, you would walk on the street, you walk on the street, dust, dust, dirt, puddles, whatever it happened to be. When you got there, your feet were dirty. 
So the only part that needed to be clean when you came to this feast was your, was your feet. And the reason why the Lord Jesus brings this up is he wants to make sure, because this is all symbolism of what's going to happen the next day. You know, this is humble service of the Lord Jesus, but it is symbolism that happens very dear. And he wants to make sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the disciples will not get the wrong idea, and we won't get the wrong idea. And the wrong idea is this, is that we need many cleansings in order to come into the kingdom of God. And there's some various different Christian, and I'll put this in quotation, sex. I should put Christian, sex. That, that, that teach that. You know, probably the most popular Christian sect, if I can put it that way, in Christendom happens to be Roman Catholicism. And they'll say this, yeah, you need the cleansing of Jesus, but you need these penance also. There's something that you need to do, right? You need some of these confessions. You need to confess to a certain individual. You need to be at the Mass. You need to celebrate the Eucharist in order for you to be saved. And isn't, it, isn't that like us? You know, because in our pride, right? Yeah, I'm not just going to trust in this, but there's some things that I need to do. What Jesus says right here, nah, there's only one cleansing you need. And guess what that cleansing is? The cleansing that I provide, and only the cleansing I provide. You know, uh, Richard Phillips, I have again on here, Richard Phillips uh, says, says this, and I have John Phillips up this, but, but it's really Richard Phillips. He says this, this means that, that as God sees you in Christ, you are completely clean forever. If you have confessed your need of the cleansing that Jesus offers and believed on him for the forgiveness of your sins, you will never be more clean in the sight of God than you were at the moment. And then you are right now, right? We have that cleansing, that perfect positional cleansing of the Lord Jesus. And A.W. Pink says something similar. He says, the moment a sinner drawn by the Holy Spirit comes to Christ, he is completely and finally cleansed. It is the apprehension of which gives, here it is, a firm rock for our feet to rest upon. It assures me of my hope that my hope is a stable one and that my standing before God is immutable. In other words, un changeable, unchanging. It banishes doubt and uncertainty. It gives a heart and mind abiding peace to know that the benefits I have found in Christ are never to be recalled. I am brought out from under condemnation and placed in a state of everlasting acceptance. Now, if that does not encourage your heart in Jesus Christ, I don't know what, what does. And it's not to say, you know, we're talking about standing here. It's not to say that in our state we don't need to be cleansed, right? We realize what John says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all, all unrighteousness. And the idea that happened to be right there is believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this ongoing relationship. We have that ongoing joy of the Lord as we are refreshed, as we are cleansed again in him as his children, but will never be outside of that family again of God. Now, there's two statements that happen to begin uh, of here that describe basically everyone. You know, it describes the humble heart and the proud heart. He says this right at the end. He says, you are clean, and you are clean. And then he says, but not every one of you. If you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have humbled your heart, if you truly believed on him, 
you know, if you truly accepted that I cannot live this life, there is no way that I can live this life and have trusted in another, it says beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're clean. But he says not every one of you. You know, and this is an amazing thing because John gives us an explanation of why he says these words. For, here's the explanation, he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said not, ever, not all of you are clean. And it's amazing. Have you ever thought... After they go, after Judas leaves, and he leaves early, and he gets up, and he goes to betray the Lord Jesus, and he goes with clean feet. He goes with that picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with him. You know, no doubt, you know, he was angry at this. No doubt he was frustrated at Jesus bending so low. You're the one that I put my hope in, and look at you. Look at who you are. You know, and it really challenges us. You know, where are we on the spectrum? You know, what is our heart like? You know, because even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be proud. We need to see this example of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may all of us, again, keep trusting humbly in our great Christ. Let's bow our hearts for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing example that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his example, Lord. We realize that this is the example, this example right here of how we treat one another, whether they happen to be enemy, whether they happen to be foe, whether they happen to be friend, whether they happen to be brother or sister in Jesus Christ, Lord, that we are to treat every single one the way Jesus treated them. God, help us. Help us. We realize that we want to make excuses. We want to, Lord, somehow deviate or, or, or find some loophole away from obeying you. May we trust in your wisdom and your wisdom alone. We thank you for our calling. We thank you for the cleansing that Jesus Christ gives us. Just be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother.